0: I'm also gonna open up in prayer, so let's go to the Lord. Um, Thank you, Father, for this time. I thank you for your word. I pray that it would open up our hearts and our minds to see you for who you truly are. God, give us the ears to hear. And Lord, may my heart and my words be pleasing to you. Amen. Today's scripture passage comes from Exodus chapter 33. It is a whole chapter, so it's a little bit long. So as we read this, um, let's intentionally focus to extract the gold from God's word. The Lord said to Moses, go, leave this place, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, and go to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. I will send an angel before you, And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, or I would consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard these harsh words, they mourned, and no one put on ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people, If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do to you. Therefore the Israelites stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them at the entrance of their tents, and watch Moses until he had gone into his tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down, all of them at the entrance of their tent. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, see, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he, Moses, said to God, if your presence will not go, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct. I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and, you will, and will proclaim before you the name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I shall Will show mercy, but He said, "You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live." And the Lord continued, "See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed, passed by. Then I will take you away my, I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." This is a word of God. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Eli Yu. I'm one of the interns here at Weston Memorial Methodist Church. Uh, I started my internship in June of this year, and I've been very blessed uh, to be part of this church, to witness the pastoral team and staff work so hard um, this year. And I look forward to serving alongside them in 2024. Today, on December 31st, we get to turn our eyes from the past to the future. When I was younger, my parents made us make New Year's resolutions, and I have my resolutions from 2016 here. Um, the first one says, "Do what Jesus would do." The second one says, "Obey parents, do not lie, be more mature, respect siblings, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. If I had written what I truly wanted in 2016. I probably would have scratched all 10 of these resolutions off and just written, girlfriend. <laughs> As I got older, I realized, I realized the importance of setting goals, and I started to write resolutions that reflected what I want more than what my family, my friends, and culture tells me I should want. My New Year's resolutions slowly became who I want to be, what I want to do and who, uh, where I want to go in life. Nevertheless, this year I want to exchange what I resolve to do this year for what God desires for me. And the question to consider is this, what does God want for you and for me this new year? The scripture passage today from Exodus 33 gives us uh, an answer to this question. For context, Moses prayed to the Lord in the tent of meeting before Moses had prayed to the Lord in the tent of the meeting. God had led the Israelite people out of Egypt. The Israelite people were God's chosen people, but they did not have a homeland yet. Instead, they were slaves to a merciless Pharaoh. In their despair, they cried out to God for deliverance from their oppressors, and God heard them. Consequently, the Lord enacted 10 plagues against Egypt and drowned Pharaoh and his men in the Red Sea in a final act that saved the Israelites. God then led his people in a pillar of cloud at day and a pillar of fire by night through the desert, miraculously providing food and water for his hungry and his thirsty people. Unlike the other nations who worshiped pagan gods, the Israelites were to have a distinct relationship with God separate from the world. Out of the Israelites, God had chosen one man uh, named Moses to lead them. Moses must have seemed like a god to the Israelites at this point. The further that the Israelites journeyed into the desert of Sinai, the more insane the miracles that Moses was performing became. First, having no water for the first three days, Moses threw a piece of wood into dirty water and purified it, making it sweet. Then Moses um, prayed and sweet bread and quail fell down from heaven. The Israelites even won a battle against a pagan nation on the condition that Moses kept his hands up like this. And The more that Moses kept his hands up, the greater that the Israelites were performing and eventually they won that battle. Finally, finally the Israelites alone in the wilderness reached Mount Sinai and watched the singular man Moses scale a mountain that was violently shaking wrapped in smoke and torched in fire. God spoke to Moses and the earth shook. The trumpets sounded and the people trembled with fear. You guys know how every friend group has that one friend who just can't stop talking? Like the one you just like, you just can't take them out to do anything because they'll end up talking to the cashier or the waiter for like 20 minutes. I'm that friend. And uh, sometimes... (laughs) Sometimes I make my family and my friends wait on me. At this point, the Israelites had run out of patience because for 40 days and for 40 nights, Moses was speaking with God as they waited at the foot of the mountain, just watching Moses have a conversation with God. At last, they could bear it no longer, and instead of waiting, they built a golden calf and worshiped it instead of God. They did not care he was receiving the Ten Commandments or the laws that outlined how they were to live as a nation. They did not know how to trust God. They had never seen God, and the only person they saw spoke, speaking to God was up on top of a mountain. And as a result, they turned to build and worship something they could see, something they could feel, a golden calf. People are designed to worship All of us are wired to worship, adore, love something above all other things. All of us have faith in something, and if it is not God, this becomes our idol. An idol is someone or something we trust instead of God. Whether it's our faith or even our intellect or reason, family or friends, money or health, even church, religion, all of us worship someone or something that gives us hope, peace, and security a key to, to know what we might worship could be found in our New Year's resolutions. Have you put anything above God in your heart or in paper? If so, then just like the Israelites, we too have built and worshipped the golden calf. When we build a golden calf and we have idols, it shows that we don't trust God And when we fail to trust God, it breaks his heart. It tells God, I do not need you as long as I can do what I want. It tells God, I do not want you if what you are doing is inconvenient to me. It says to God, I'd rather do things my way if I cannot understand what you are doing in my life. It tells God, I'd rather worship other gods than to worship the one true God. When the Israelites rejected God by building the golden calf, God did not give them what they deserved, which was death. Instead, in verse one of our scripture passage for today, the Lord said to Moses, go and leave this place, you and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt. God's heart was broken. And it says, and go to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants, I will give it. God made a promise to Moses' forefathers. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you or I will consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. God was infinitely merciful, but at the same time so uh, loving. Despite their idolatry, deserving death, God would send an angel to clear out all the lands he had promised them so that the Israelites would possess the promised land. And because God keeps his promises, he vowed to give them what they had asked for in Egypt, which was a home for themselves. But what was the cost? The cost was God's presence. God cannot be mocked. He is faithful even when we are not. This is why he would give us a promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey, even if we reject Him. This is why we can live in High Point in the United States of America, a land flowing with wealth and opportunity, when as a culture we rejected God a long time ago. This is why He might allow us to get everything we place on our New Year's resolution, even though we sometimes choose not to love Him. The Lord will not fight for our attention, beg for our devotion or force his way into our lives if we abandon, abandon him for another. Our Father loves us so much that He is willing to bless us even if we run into the new year, our or so-called the promised land, or everything that we hope to achieve and accomplish without him. After I graduated from high school in 2020, I enlisted in the Army National Guard as a combat medic. I went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, or in Oklahoma, and then I also completed my medic training in Fort Sam Houston um, in Texas. Throughout the 16 weeks that I was there, I did not, and I'm, I'm not proud to say this, but I did not voluntarily reach out or call my parents unless they called me. This was a period in my life that I wanted to do things my way and my own, do my own thing apart from my parents' and find my own way through the world, even continuing to neglect my relationship with them into college. My parents, in their wisdom and patience, did not force me to call them or spend time with them. They let me go to the promised land or what I thought I wanted in life to find that it was not worth it without their presence. Regardless of the idols or the golden calves of the past, regardless of the promised land, of the future, are you aware of God's presence right now in this present moment as we worship this Sunday? What is the presence of God? The most common Hebrew term for presence is panim, which is also translated face, implying a close and personal encounter with God. Verse 11 of our passage says, the Lord used to speak to Moses Face to face, as one speaks to a friend. When Moses spoke face to face with the Lord, he was encountering the living God. In verse 7, we see how Moses encountered God. Verse 7 reads Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. At this point in Israel's history, the Israelites were traveling through, through the desert wilderness in small personal tents. In addition, the tabernacle, which was to be kind of like a portable sanctuary or like a dwelling place for God, had not been built yet. As a result, Moses could not wait for the tabernacle to be built. So he initiated a determined effort to seek God by making his personal tent The tent of meeting. Notice that Moses pitched his tent far from camp. Martin Lloyd Jones, a prominent minister, said When the Holy Spirit of God begins to deal with any of us, there will be a separation. It will not be the Pharisees' I'm holier than thou attitude. No. Once a man begins to be burdened for the glory of God and the state of the church, he immediately feels a call to consecration. He goes out, as it were. In verse nine of chapter 33, it says, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. When Moses took the initiative to seek the Lord, God drew near to him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to us. And picture this, the Lord would speak to Moses. This was Moses' prayer to God in verse 13, a glimpse into their conversation. Now if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. The Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found Favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us. In this way, we shall be distinct. I and your people from every people on the face of the earth. We can see in this prayer that Moses was obsessed with God. When Moses prayed on behalf of himself and the nation, Moses staked everything on God's presence. Because above anything that God could give Moses, Moses wanted God's presence. He wanted God's presence, his ways and his favor. He was a man of God, pursuing God's heart, desires and dreams. He just wanted to be with God more than anything else. When the presence of God becomes more important to us than the promised land, where we go in life becomes less important than our presence. Relationship with him. We can leave this room and continue our daily life going back to the pattern of yesterday. But if we do not, if we have the same attitude of Moses who said, If your presence will not go, do not bring us up from here, we can truly realize that the God of heaven became a man in the form of Jesus to dwell with us. And when we recognize that, we are truly free the true nature of the Christian life is to seek God's presence, which is equivalent to developing an intimate relationship with him. From the time of Moses till Jesus, the the fathers of our faith had a deep, intimate relationship with God, setting themselves apart to worship in their tent, tabernacle, and temple. My mom, um, she, she told me recently, don't go off script, which is a really good, really good reminder, but I had some thoughts that I needed to jot down, so I apologize if I'm kind of scattered-brained. Um, but only the elect, the chosen one, could stand before the holy God and not die. So Moses we witness in this chapter is the mediator, or the middleman between God and the people. In Exodus 25, a couple chapters before, when God is kind of downloading all of the the things that he wants for the people of Israel, he gives him instructions, the exact instructions for the construction of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was supposed to be this dwelling place for God on earth where heaven touched earth. And there were three, three levels to the tabernacle. There was the outer court where sacrifices were done there was the, um, the, most, the holy place, which is where the menorah and the unleavened bread was, and then there was a most holy place. Inside, the, at the very heart of the tabernacle, was where God's spirit was. And this was because God cannot dwell among a stiff-necked people. Because of their sin, God as a holy God and the sinful Israelites, could not coexist at the same time. So it required people like Moses and Aaron, who became the forefather of all the priests, to be that one man, to be that mediator between God and man. And that continued throughout the whole entire Old Testament, from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus, whether it was Moses or Aaron or David or all of these different representatives of God, there was always another mediator that stood between God and man. And God's literal presence, his physical presence was located in a specific place, whether it be the tabernacle, the temple, and then ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. All the while, the people of Israel stood at a distance watching these chosen leaders encounter God. They trusted that the words that they came with were the very words of God because they, ha- they didn't have a personal relationship with him. And so just like the people of Israel stood at the, the very base of the mountain, looking up to the top where Moses was encountering God in this crazy scene, the same way they stood from afar watching these people in their personal relationship with God. But God's desire to dwell among his people manifested in the incarnation, which we talked about last week, when God stepped down from his throne room in heaven and entered this world as a man. Because God's greatest desire is not to, to stay in heaven kind of looking down, you know, trying to, uh, just a, a God up there doing his thing but he actually desires to be with us. And so he stepped outside of his heaven, came down into earth in the form of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, so that in doing so, he can, uh, he can purchase us back to him. That the, the price was paid on that cross when sin was paid for in full through his blood. And that we now stand before God righteous in his sight, and we can attain relationship with him. In God's love and mercy, the veil of sin was removed so that we can talk to God face to face. In in Exodus, Moses had to wear a veil as he descended from the mountain because the radiance of his face was just so bright after he had talked with God that if the Israelites were to look upon his face, they would be blinded that veil has been removed, our veil of sin, the curtain that separated us from from God was torn, and through his life, death, and resurrection, we who were once enemies of God because of our sin can become friends with God because we don't need to go to a tent, a tabernacle, or a temple to experience the presence of God. The presence is within us through the indwelling, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. In our resolutions for 2024, we get to consider the burning of the golden calf and giving the hope of our promised land to God. The truth is that we cannot change the past or control the future, but the one thing that we can control is whether or not we seek God's presence above all other things in this present moment. A practical resolution might be to create our own tent of meeting, like Moses did, to designate a quiet spot in our room or house to pray, read his word, and to worship him. Those are some of the examples of practical things we get to do to spend time in God's presence. Um, When we humbly and trustingly seek God's face, we enter into his presence. This creates intimacy with God greater than the closeness we can have with a brother or a friend or even a partner. When we look intently into the face of the one who's loved us since the foundation of the world, we cannot help but to love him back. This new year, God invites us to seek his presence as our plan for our lives. Let us pray. Dear Father, I thank you for Today, today we are in the present and the present is a gift. It's a gift to be here with you. It's a gift to be here um, with the staff. It's a gift to celebrate those who have served this church. It's a gift to be with you right now. And so Lord, we thank you that you paid a high price so that we can be in relationship with you through the death and resurrection of your son. And Lord, we look eagerly towards the future knowing that you hold all things in the palm of your hand and that you are mighty to save and that whatever we are experiencing now, as long as we are with you, it's going to be okay. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.